Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And welcome back to the Chris and Joe Show, presented to you by SB Nation and Big Blue View. I'm Joe DeLeon, joined by Chris Flum. And today we are continuing our NFL Combine discussions with a bit of a unique perspective for today's show. It is intentionally done to explain to you, the average fan, or maybe you're not the average fan, and dive very deep into draft prospects. Either way, we're giving you an understanding of what talent evaluators are looking for at the specific position groups. Today we're talking specifically about the offensive side of the ball, what various position groups need to do during the combine if they want to increase their draft stock, and if they do it well, would make them a great fit for multiple NFL franchises. But before we get ourselves into that conversation, we do have to discuss a recent mock draft that you put out, Chris, and it is obviously worth discussing and, and, and taking a look at your selection because you did all 32 teams, but the one selection that sparked the ire of, I would say, most Giants fans was the one that you mocked for the New York Giants. And that is specifically because you picked Derek Brown, defensive tackle from Auburn, to go to the Giants. Now, the reasoning behind it makes a lot of sense. But I just want to hear what your thoughts on why you chose Brown here, despite I think a lot of fans being frustrated with the thought process of the Giants potentially taking yet another defensive tackle. Yeah, I got accused of trolling, of creating clickbait. Uh, At least one commenter wanted to straight up ask me how I even have my job. But I'll honestly say, I... Contrary to popular belief, I was was not and am not advocating for the Giants to draft Derek Brown. I was simply p- trying to put myself in Dave Gettleman's shoes. I started off by saying I believe that the Giants will make a strong run at Jack Conklin to fill their hole at right tackle. So if they do that, I don't see them drafting a tackle high. It's something that Dave Gettleman has never done. He has consistently consistently sought offensive line help in free agency. He signed Ryan Khalil and Michael Orr when he was the general manager of the Carolina Panthers. He gave a massive contract to Nate Solder. He got he got Mike Remmers in free agency. He went to the trade market to get Kevin Zeitler. So just drafting a tackle high is something he has never really done. Also, I advocate the Giants trade down, assuming either 
Chase Young or Jeffrey Okuda are not there, pursue a trade. There are at least three quarterback needy teams behind them. Somebody is going to want to trade up. But Dave Gettleman has never traded down. Also, in this mock draft, I did not allow myself any trades. They just make things too complicated. There's too much gaming out picks and compensation. And then if compensation is doesn't seem realistic or people just aren't happy about it, I get complaints about that too. So no trades. See, I don't think a lot of people fully understand how mock drafts really work. And I, I really appreciate your explanation there for all of that and why that potentially actually could go down. But a mock draft really shouldn't be a draft analyst's thoughts on who should be going where. Now, I think a lot of people would agree, and you would probably agree, that Derek Brown makes sense in the top five because he is a very talented defensive prospect. Some are saying, some top-level draft analysts are saying, that he might be better than Chase Young. He has that kind of a ceiling. But I don't think people really realize that these mock drafts are usually intended to project who a team is going to take. It's not an analysis of their talent in saying this is the fourth best player, but rather the Giants have a tendency to fall in love with defensive tackles. They have a tendency to fall in love with big offense or defensive tackles and guys that are strong and nimble and athletic. And if you see some unworldly talent and you're Dave Gettleman, how can you not expect him to make that decision? Now, I'm sure you can agree with me here, Chris, that I, neither of us would really advocate for that decision because the Giants have so many other glaring needs. But if you're just thinking in the same exact way that Dave Gettleman would, he very well could pull the trigger. And the one thing we saw in last year's draft, and I, actually the same thing happened in his first year drafting with the team too, is that he is very willing to draft a guy a little bit higher than people really expect him to just because he really, really wants someone. So I don't think that would really stop him if he does fall in love with someone like Derek Brown. I don't really think that this will happen come draft day. I, I have a very strong feeling that there is going to be some type of a trade, maybe not with the New York Giants, but I think that a lot of things are going to get shifted in and out with not specifically the Giants pick, but those first three picks in front of the Giants. Something is going to go down that is going to shift everything back, so it probably won't really be Derek uh, Derek Brown rather being the guy who's picked. Yeah, exactly. I think mock drafting and trying to actually forecast the way the draft is going to go down is just a fool's errand this year. There will be trades. I have a very strong suspicion that this is going to be kind of a crazy year. That being said, I do think that Part of the reason why people were so frustrated with the pick is it's something I think a lot of people could actually see happening, that Derek Brown is probably one of the five best players in this draft, regardless of position, that Dave Gettleman does love the defensive tackle position, and he really does not care about positional value. So I think that is where some of some of or even a lot of the frustration with that pick came from just the fact that it was just a little bit too real yeah it could very well be real and it's not even just the Giants draft philosophy we've seen it happen with other teams and I think the the best example that could very well reflect this situation is if you recall, recall the New York Jets who have been very unsuccessful over the past decade or so there's there was a continuous run where they had 
Sheldon Richardson, Muhammad Wilkerson. Then they chose to draft Leonard Williams, and then a few years later drafted Quinnen Williams. So despite not really needing a defensive lineman, they were seeking out and trying to draft the best player available in, in their eyes on their draft board. That very well could happen on draft day. It's too way too early to tell right now. We haven't even gotten to the combine yet before we can really have those final grades on players. But don't be shocked and don't be upset at us if Derek Brown goes to the New York Giants. We now have a very interesting show for you today, like we alluded to in the introduction by giving you the perspective of talent evaluators that are participating and attending at the NFL Combine. The first position group that we're going to talk about right now is the offensive line. And for them, you get to watch them run a 40. Chris, you can probably agree with me on this. That 40 time does not really mean that much. They're big guys. They're over 300 pounds. It's interesting if they run a sub five, but I don't think we should really get hung up on if they don't have a fast 40 time. Yeah, it's a nice measure of overall athleticism, and frankly, it is fun to watch these just ginormous human beings run, frankly, that fast, because even a five-second 40 is pretty fast for pretty much anyone who isn't a pretty elite-level athlete. But really, the other drills are going to be much more important. Drills that, personally, I like to watch the field drills the closest just to see how well they move in space. But of the measurable ones, bench press is obviously important just to know whether or not these guys are putting the time in in the gym. It's going to be harder for guys with longer arms just because you're pushing that bar a longer way. But you want to see guys at, at least put up a respectable number, even if they're not repping out 30 35 reps with 225 they should be able to get at least at, at least a respectable number just to be able to deal with the big strong powerful defenders they're going to have to be dealing with on a play in play out basis you certainly don't need a huge number of reps the overall leaders in reps all time at the combine some of those guys didn't really last very long in the league. There were guys that went well over 40 reps. Some of those players were using performance-enhancing drugs and were eventually removed from the league. But that type of upper body strength does not really pertain and correlate to success for the offensive line position for the exact reason that you said with a ton of offensive linemen who have ridiculously long arms who can't push the bar as far as others. So a center with shorter arms is going to probably rep out more than a guy like Mekki Becton, who is a behemoth of an offensive tackle, or Alex Taylor, who both have long arms. It's going to be a lot harder for them, but you just want to see if they have good upper body strength. The other drills that are really, really key for these offensive linemen is very specifically their positional drills. The athleticism stuff is fun, and it gives you a good sign of, oh, this guy is an athletic freak. He's not really there technically, but because he's so athletic, we can keep working with him. Uh, that was a bit of the thought process with Taylor Lewan. It's not that he wasn't technically sound, but because he was so athletic, they could continue to develop him. He could turn into a stud. You want to see that footwork and fl fluidity in the positional drills. You want to see how well they move, if they can stay balanced at their weight over 300 pounds. And then once you get the bags out, 
that's obviously not real contact in a game, but if they latch onto the bag, if they have good hand placement, they're not sloppy and they can't control their arms, if they're driving their legs properly, that is very, very key. A lot of guys do this second nature. Some people that have technical issues, scouts are just going to be wanting to see if they've resolved that and spent the time to work and adjust on it. Then there are also the pass protection drills, which can really help separate the guards from the tackles. The guys who are going to be comfortable, going to be able to sit out there on an edge and deal with defensive ends and outside linebackers. And it will also tell us, you know, the kick slide drill, the rabbit drill, where you get the one lineman running back and forth, the other one has to kind of mirror him. Those drills will tell us maybe which tackles need to slide inside the guard because they don't have the same kind of lower body fluidity and ability to really move while staying balanced and staying in their stance and able to, when it comes time to block these guys, be able to do it. The other thing I I really like about both of those drills too is that there are varying levels of competition. You're going to have FCS players. You're going to have guys playing in the SEC. You're going to have someone like Ben Barch who's coming from a Division three school. So you don't really know if you can compare what you saw on tape to other guys that are going against future NFL pass rushers. So you have everyone in the same situation with guys that are going the same speed. Do those guys stick to, to their fundamentals? Do they all look the same? Do they have good pad level? How well do they sit in their stance? You get to see everyone at the same exact time doing the same exact drill, and it can kind of clarify some things. It can clarify, like you said, who's a guard, who's a tackle. It also clarifies who has slower feet than other players. It's a really good spot for these offensive linemen to clear up things with footwork and fundamentals. The other position group here before we hit that commercial break is the running backs. Now, this one we're obviously paying attention to those athletic drills. The running back position requires high amounts of athleticism. If you don't run a fast 40, you can run in that 4-6 range and be fine. But if you run a relatively slow 40 time, there's very little chance you have sustained success at the running back position unless you move to fullback. You need to be quick. You need to be fast. You need to have good footwork in the three-cone drill and the short shuttle. You need to show that strong change of direction. There is a huge emphasis for these running backs on how athletic they are. Yeah, absolutely. And guys will be making money in especially the 40-yard dash. You know, teams are constantly looking for home run threats. Even though we have seen plenty of running backs with, we'll just say, average speed. Guys like Dalvin Cook... Uh, Aaron Jones, these guys didn't run great 40 times, but they're really agile. You know, they really good three cone drill, short shuttle, really good contact balance, which you can kind of see in the field drills while they're, you know, running around cones and sinking their hips, bending their ankles. But also, it's something you just have to see on tape. Having a great 40, a great vertical, that is all very good, and that that will help convince teams to draft guys higher. Not being great at that, as long as you hit certain thresholds, it, they're not disqualifying. You said the perfect word there, the same exact word I was thinking, which is those thresholds. They just want to see you hit a certain range. If you can correlate what you did on tape onto those, those specific drills. And again, there's times where guys will run really, really slow times, and that will hugely 
and negatively impact their draft stock and prevent them from being drafted. The other thing, too, is just seeing how they cut and move through their positional drills. I, I would say out of most position groups on the offensive side, uh, running back probably has the least amount of import- importance on the positional drills. Not saying that it's not important, but the emphasis is more on athleticism rather than seeing what they can do in those positionals because it's really, really tough to make a drill that can translate to what they do on game day. If you don't have offensive linemen blocking in front of you and opening up holes, if you don't have defenders coming at you and coming at your ankles, you can't really show that, which is why that sometimes these workout warriors for the running back position don't really have sustained success in the NFL. But you do get to see their ability to change direction. You get to see how they read things with the various bag drills where they try to redirect them and make them think really, really quickly. Also get to see their hands by tossing to them and and running various routes. Things like that are very, very key just to see the other various traits that these running backs have. Yeah, the one field drill I do find interesting is the one where running backs have to do increasingly sharp cuts. I do not remember the name of the drill off the top of my head. I always think of it as the snake drill just because they weave back and forth and try to maintain as much speed as possible while cutting as close to cones as possible. And I can still remember the slow motion video of Christian McCaffrey performing that drill. And you could actually, it was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. You could actually follow the motion up his leg as he would cut first his foot would pivot then his ankle then up his leg you would see his hip and his hips drop and then he would turn and it was incredibly fluid so those i think do have a lot of value but really with running back i think tape is absolutely king we've got three more position groups for you coming up but before we get there we're going to take a very short commercial break Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Our next position group is tight end, and this one is a bit of a tough one to analyze at the combine because it is that tweener position between an offensive lineman and a receiver in terms of what you want to see from them. You don't get to see them really block, but you do get to see them hit the pad. You get to see them get that leg drive. That stuff's very good to see, especially if certain guys in college 
didn't play in a scheme that allowed them to block much. Evan Ingram's a perfect example of that. He played in a spread scheme and hardly even blocked in his time at Old Miss. But you did get to see how he was going to do. He showed that he had some fight in him. He had the drive that even though he didn't have experience blocking, that he could still handle himself in those situations. 40 time for them. You're not overly worried in the the full 40 time and that long-term burst. A fast time is very interesting to see. And typically those fast tight ends do end up being pretty good. Someone like Vernon Davis, who's run the fastest time for a tight end, had a very long career. Evan Ingram has been an offensive weapon for the Giants. O.J. Howard is someone who's been underutilized but is a good tight end. But you really want to see that that first 10 yards, that burst, that get off. How quickly can they get off the line of scrimmage? How quickly can they explode? Same thing goes for the Verton Broad. How explosive are these big, large men, the athletic versions of an offensive lineman are? Yeah, and just the way the tight end position is evolving, having that explosive athleticism makes them weapons for the offense. It makes them very difficult for a defense to match up against. They can be too fast, too explosive for most linebackers to deal with, but also too big for most defensive backs to deal with. And also, if they've got that lower body explosiveness, that will help them block. You said it perfectly. Evan Ingram was in a an offense in college where he was basically a massive slot receiver. He was rarely, if ever, lined up in line, attached to the offensive line, and asked to block. He has had to learn how to do that. And you don't want him blocking a defensive end. He's He just doesn't have the build for that. But he has become a pretty good blocker, at least a fundamentally sound blocker. And part of the reason why he can do that is he does have that athleticism, that powerful lower body, where even if he can't drive a defensive end off the ball, he can at least generate enough power to stonewall an outside linebacker long enough. You also are keying on how they do in the gauntlet and also their route tree. How clean are they in their routes? How well do they look getting off the line? Can they cleanly make catches? I think a good example of the emphasis on their hands is that a couple years ago, David Njoku had a really good athletic testing day at the combine but if you go back and watch his gauntlet he dropped a ton of balls and I think a lot of people shrug that off and just assume oh he's still athletic he can coach up his hands well right now David Njoku whose biggest negative and the reason why he hasn't been successful yet is because he drops a lot of passes so you can immediately see those things if a guy can't catch a ball he can't catch a ball and it's going to take a lot of work for him to fix that. You obviously can't coach athleticism, but there is always going to be that, that focus on for these receiver type positions on how well they catch. Now for the receivers, catching is pretty much everything. If you, if you're not catching most of the balls in the gauntlet in in these uh, route drills, well, that could be a serious problem. Yeah, just that is, that is their job catch the ball, you know, obviously you have to run a good route first, but if you're not catching the ball, you're not doing your job. For the receivers, I think out of any position group, the 40 time has the most importance and all of these athletic drills are so focused for the receiver group because they're running long routes. Sometimes they're asked to run 
very deep routes, whether it's a, you know, a go route, a streak. In addition to that, most of the routes are 10 to 15 yards. There are, some are obviously shorter, but the amount that they are running on the field is very, very important. So how quickly can they get up to that top level speed? How long can they sustain that level of speed? That's why there's so much focus on these 40 times. And that's why last year when DK Metcalf ran a 4-3 at his size, a lot of people had their eyes opened in terms of his talent. And he was one of the best rookie receivers this past season as a result of it. So that 40 time is very, very key. In addition to that, though, you got to see how well they do on the three cone and the short shuttle because you could just be straight line fast and you could be a gadget player that just runs go routes. But if you can't cut and you can't plant your foot after 10 yards and come in on an in route or come back on a curl, if you can't do that quickly, you're pretty much useless as a receiver. So that's why, again, going back to DK Metcalf, when he didn't do so good in these agility drills, teams were a bit adverse to drafting him, which is why he fell into the second round. If you don't have good agility, it's very hard to be a successful receiver. That is something that Sterling Shepard excels at is his agility, his change of direction skills, his ability to break sharply out of his routes or change direction with the ball in his hands. We all saw for four or five years how good Odell Beckham is at that, and he had a very good short shuttle time just the ability to change direction and accelerate very quickly. Things like that, that is really what can help a wide receiver unlock their ability as a route runner. Agility and route running work together and receivers who can use both of those skills, both of those traits, they will have an easier time being successful than a receiver that doesn't have those traits or only has one of them. Now, with DK Metcalf, he he is kind of a top fuel dragster of a receiver. He has ridiculous power, ridiculous speed, and that just happens to be enough for him, especially with a guy like Russell Wilson throwing him the ball. Our final position group is the quarterback position, the most important position in the game of football, but there's no importance for them on the athletic testing. And what I mean by that is compared to all of these other position groups we talked about, If you have a quarterback who doesn't run a super fast 40, it's not the end of the world. They're not going to test in the upper echelon of all the the guys at the combine. You'll have a couple outliers, some really athletic dudes, people like Lamar Jackson who can fly in the 40 or other players who can jump out of the building. But it doesn't really matter if the more talented quarterbacks in the class aren't super athletically gifted because – the thing that teams are so focused on is arm talent and what's inside their heads. So the interviews, how things go with there, which we have no ability to see what happens during those interviews, but how well do they handle in tough conversations? How, how much do they understand the game of football? How willing are they to put the work in? But you're really looking at these passing drills to the receivers. If they decide to throw extra to the running backs, how good are they going to look? Do they have the touch to throw to receivers that they're typically not used to? Now, if they aren't perfect, there is a bit of a cushion because it's guys that they've never thrown balls to. But if they're errant in a number of their throws, that can cause for some concern. I will say that there are guys that have that have gone out there and looked perfect and completed all of their 
passes during the combine and not really done much in the league. But in the opposite case, there's very rarely quarterbacks that do very poorly during this that have success. Yeah, but th- we do see teams fall in love with quarterbacks based on what happens on the field. You know, there will be quarterbacks who do surprise and run great 40s and there will be teams that kind of fall in love with that hoping to find maybe the next Lamar Jackson or another Kyler Murray or maybe try to cash in on that trend and then there will also be quarterbacks who just have massive arms who could throw the ball through a brick wall and teams will fall in love with that you know a couple years ago we saw basically everybody's mouth drop open when Josh Allen fired about a 90-yard pass down the sideline. And you know, he is he hasn't proven to be a very good passer, I think, at the NFL level. You know, he can still uncork some absolutely amazing throws, but the completion percentage just isn't there, which is something we saw on the field at the Combine. We saw him launch the ball five feet over the head of a receiver on a simple slant route. But you also see those just jaw-dropping throws. And you said it perfectly. The really important part for quarterbacks are the things we're not going to see. It's when the teams get them in the interview room, when they put them on the whiteboard. How is their football IQ? What kind of leaders are they? How do they retain information and communicate it? For the quarterbacks, that is the part that is absolutely key. And unfortunately, that's the part we just do not get to see. All right, that is all we have for today's show. In talking about what the offensive position groups need to do and what scouts and talent evaluators are watching for for these specific guys, we're going to be giving you the defensive side of things next week. But on Friday, we'll be having our next mailbag show. Be sure to rate and subscribe wherever you're listening to us, folks. Also, follow us on social media at Big Blue View. And you can also follow me at Joe DeLeon. And you can follow Chris at Raptor MKII. Stay tuned for Friday and yet another mailbag. And be sure to send us your questions if you want to hear them answered.